Clear for takeoff. Runway 28 left. Fly runway heading. Welcome to another brand new episode of Living in Flight, your go-to podcast for everything in the world of aviation. Exclusive interview conversations with industry professionals and enthusiasts. Strap on your seatbelt, put on your headset, and get ready for Living in Flight. All right, so we generally kick this off. Why don't you uh, share with us your name and what got uh, what got you into aviation? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Foe Fayu, uh, and I go on Instagram and social media as the Soaring Samoan. Um, but Foe is just the short form of a long, crazy Polynesian name that my parents decided that when they're first born, came into this world, we're going to bless them with one of those crazy names with a million vowels in them. So um, it, it's funny when you get to, to fly with with a new pilot or a new captain in, in my case, when I fly with them and they're just like, how do you say your name, dude? And I'll just, ask <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell them, look, just make it easy. Fo the FO. Right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it, it sticks from there on. Uh, as far as background in aviation, this all started back, honestly, at a young age. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in the South Pacific Island down in American Samoa territory of the United States. And there, you know, there aren't any flight schools out there. There, uh, there aren't any opportunities for, uh, the kids or youth or anyone in general to grow up and say, Hey, I want to become a pilot and I'm going to go to the local airport and ask a CFI. There was none of that. So, uh, the benefit in it for me was that I actually lived literally right next to the airport. So typical pilot story, you know, uh, I lived right next to the airport. I, I watched airplanes take off and land, uh, in and out of uh, American Samoa, which recently, just a cool fun fact here that United Airlines on their way to Sydney had to divert. I saw that. So that's my home. That's that's my home island. Um, and another fun fact is that the recovery team that went in to pick them up, the captain that brought that airplane in is actually one of my mentors and my father-in-law's classmate from new hire training at United back in 1984. So... That's actually a pretty small world. It is a small world. Aviation is definitely a small world. But um, anyway, so it's, you know, got the bug back then, uh, but just didn't know uh, what to do with it. Uh, there wasn't any guidance. There weren't any pilots to go ask and see how I could get my start going. So um, fast forward uh, in 2009, I was a senior in high school and had no interest whatsoever in engineering, but I just so happened to walk down the hallway through the career center. And I saw this big poster uh, on the career center and it said internship at the Boeing company of Long Beach. And so of course I see Boeing and then eyes open wide and like, I know what that is, you know? So uh, I stopped by the career center, asked them about it. They said, yeah, but it's kind of only for our engineering students. Are you enrolled in engineering? I said, no, I'm not. Uh, and they said, well, the enrollment period is still open if you want to enroll. And so I said, sure, let's take a look at it. Come to find out I needed an, an elective and there was room for it. So I signed up for it. And during that first semester, uh, I had applied to this internship with little to no knowledge as to what's going on. Um, and it wasn't until yeah, about a few weeks later, I got the call from uh, from the city of Long Beach. And this was in Long Beach, California. Um they said, Hey, we saw your application and all that stuff. And we want to bring you in and interview you. It's an actual, it's a, it's a, it's a program 
that has been started by the Long Beach Unified School District uh, to try to get kids into aviation. And they were interviewing 150 students from all the high schools in, in Long Beach, but they can only award four spots. Um, so I was very fortunate to be able to get one of those four spots. And I started off as a senior high school intern working for the Boeing company. Basically, I was the blueprint runner, uh, you know, from from the engineers to the assembly line out there uh, where they were building actually there at that plant, the C-17s. Uh, so being were they doing 717s the, out there at one point or th- when I was there, I didn't see it. Um, all I know is that the department I was with, they worked only on the C-17s. Uh, but again, I mean, my knowledge was basically, hey, Phil, I need you to run these blueprints over there and grab some stuff over there, bring it here, you know, typical intern mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I was very fortunate. I guess I did a good job because after I graduated, they actually offered me a permanent, I wouldn't say permanent, but a summer internship uh, just to get my feet going uh, in, in the in the industry. And so um worked with them uh as a uh as an intern and this time I was actually now sitting in front of a desk at a computer and answering emails and sending stuff back and forth between the departments so it was a little bit a little bit more important than just running blueprints you know kind of a deal um then in 2012 I di- I didn't do anything after that honestly it was I came out of out of the Boeing internship and and honestly I really wanted to to go straight into flight training um, I actually applied to a particular well-known uh, flight academy that has uh, commercials all over social media right now. And, uh, you know, the three letters uh, that's on there, but I shall not name them on here. Um, I applied to them since 2009. And every time I had applied, it was one thing or another. Either one, you don't have enough credit, you need an, an additional cosigner, or you need two cosigners, or you need this and then this and that. So, you know, years rolled on and, and that didn't happen. So flight training stopped uh, until 2012 uh, when I took a job in Hawaii for Hawaiian Airlines. Uh, I moved to Honolulu and I worked as a ramp agent. Uh, did that for about a year. And then my second year, I said, well, hey, look, I'm, I'm getting closer to where I really would like to be, which is on that other side of that flight deck door. Um, so I took a job as a customer service agent at Hawaiian Airlines. So I worked above the wing at the gates. And my last year at Hawaiian Airlines, I was very fortunate that one of my managers knew that I wanted to be a pilot and that I also um, uh, you know, did a little bit of radio and television in college. So he said, hey, uh, the Department of Transportation here in Honolulu just awarded Hawaiian Airlines a big contract to run a ramp that they're going to call the inter-island ramp, and which is the inter-island side of the Honolulu airport. Um, and because they are remodernizing the Honolulu airport, they want to start regulating the traffic back there, even though it's the non-movement area. So um, they they reached out to me. They said, we'd like for you to be one of the candidates. And so I went through about a three-week training with uh, a company that, uh, I guess, goes out to train air traffic controls around the world, trollers around the world. Um, and so I you know did the three-week course, passed it, and started ramp controlling uh, there at the Honolulu uh, Inter-Island really? Ramp. So you... You were the guy that we call like ramp ready to push. You were yeah, one of those. So, so, yeah. So when you go like to a big airport and there's a ramp controller. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's what I did for the inter island terminal. 
there at Hawaii in at the Honolulu airport. And does that uh, get stressful at all? Like, do you get like like a lot of competing planes trying to get to like gates and whatnot? Or yeah, for like- sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 a non movement area, uh, at least where we where we are or where they are now. Um, and when I started, they only had two taxiways. I think they still have it now at Honolulu, where it's inbound on Lima, outbound on Gulf. And when they did the modernization program, they did it in phases. And every phase, it got difficult. Because phase one was kind of like, all right, it's a little chill. We're just going to start off in this little corner over here. And then phase two got a little more harder. Phase three, it was one way in, one way out on one taxiway. And on my desk, because believe it or not, we weren't actually in a ramp tower looking down at the traffic. We were actually in a basement and we had like these HD cameras that we had a 180 degree view. Um, and I had like three screens in front of me where I had all the information that I needed. And so the difficult part was having to coordinate with a tower. And so I had just like the president does a red telephone literally right next to my desk. And that's the direct line to the tower controller. Um, during, I think, phase three, uh, tower couldn't send any wide bodies in until I said to send them in. And I couldn't send any out until he said to send them out. And so whenever there were wide bodies involved, that that's when it got trickier because now I got to hold a lot of 717s, a lot of ATRs, a lot of these Mokulele caravans and cargo operators to like get this guy going. Um, and so it, it was a fun job, but it, it will get challenging or it did get challenging around the afternoon because that's when all the transcon flights were pushing out, all the inner island flights were pushing out, all the cargo flights were leaving. So, uh, but it was a fun challenge. Um, so anyway, after- yeah, I don't think I've ever spoken to a ramp controller before. Like, you know, <laughs> I've spoken to them a lot in my in my aviation career now, but not like ever talked to someone who ever did. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And and it's funny to to look back. I still have friends who are doing it right now uh, in Honolulu. And uh, the technology they have now is far greater than what I had to deal with. I actually was sitting there with papers too, like just crossing flights off on paper. Right now they have touch screens and all that stuff to look at. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then after that, in 2015, um, when several attempts again to get into this particular flight academy went unsuccessful, I decided, well, what else could I do? And so I applied to the top three, the big three, uh, Delta, American, and, and United as a flight attendant. And I think in 2015 was another big surge of flight attendant hiring uh, here in the U.S., and I didn't hear back from the from Delta or American, but United was the only one that reached out. And within the span of two weeks, I went from flying all the way to Houston for the face-to-face interview to getting offered the job to having to show up uh, a week or and a half later for training in Houston. And so that's basically my aviation background leading up to prior to becoming a pilot. Um, and so I spent about four and a half years at United, um, and then I had to resign because it was getting tough to juggle the schedule as a flight attendant and as a new first officer with low time for Southern Airways being based in the East coast. And so the juggle wasn't, wasn't working out. So, uh, so you did your flight training while you were a flight attendant. I would, I did. Yes. Yeah. So where did you do your flight training? All of my flight training was done here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And 
Did I, you do a part 61? It was part 61. Yes. Um, it was the only thing that I could do to work with my schedule, uh, work with the, uh, the funds. Um, but I did get to share the pattern and I, I did get to share the, uh, the airport with, uh, all the part 141 students over here at Spartan, uh, as well as, uh, Tulsa community college. They have a really good flight program here as well as, uh, another flight Academy. I think they call it Riverside flight, flight training, uh, here in Tulsa. So, um, so yeah, I, I, some months I try to work it out to where I would work the first week of the month. At that time, I was very fortunate to hold a line uh, with with United, um, and so I was able to work my schedule to where I was working two weeks off, two weeks, and if I couldn't do that, it was just dropping the whole month and maybe really? one trip and uh, and you know flying the rest of the month. So did they did they have any good programs for like for flight attendants that wanted to get into the piloting thing to give you some sort of like leave that was temporary or anything or was it pretty much just kind of figured out on your own it was figured out on your own at the time uh mind you this was all pre-covid and so you know everybody was still having to grind on their own to to get their hours grind to find that first job they everybody had to grind to um to be able to reach the minimums to go to the airlines and and so when this process started uh, I actually reached out to my managers and my supervisors uh, with in-flight and all they had to say was, well, why don't you take a leave? And then all the leaves that I saw, a lot of them I didn't qualify for. Well, it wasn't until we had our oldest son that the company said, well, we actually can offer you a one-year parental leave. And so, you know, it took a lot of uh, a lot of consideration because the parental leave, at least the clause at the time with United was they could only pay my medical for three months. And then after that, you're on your own. Um, the pay stops in three months as well. So, so that kind of a deal, but it was also a necessary thing that I looked back at that the wife and I decided, you know what, it's probably the best thing to do because it could pay, you know, you're, you're paying your dues now, uh, to get to where you need to be. Um, and so, so that's, that's the only leave I was able to get. But when I came back, uh, you know, after the one year leave, I decided, okay, I'm going to go fly again because we need the money and all this good stuff and we need to qualify for, for the medical again. Um, I went in and I flew about one month and I tried to apply again for another leave of absence. At the time, they were offering for in-flight uh, voluntary leave of absences. And it was a, a period of three to four months. And I said, great, just, you know, keep, keep applying for these things. Well, I applied. They said, you don't qualify. You have to work a minimum of X amount of hours um, in this month to qualify. Well, there was a conflict there with my flying schedule at my, my flying job. So that's when, when things, you know, I, I had to make the decision and, 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 uh, you know, cut my ties, uh, as a flight attendant. And so what, what was sad though, is that shortly after that, they were offering leaves of absences for nine to 12 months after that. Um, but again, I sit now and I look back at it and I said, well, it was, it was, it was frustrating back then, but it, it's sweeter now knowing that, uh, you know, it got me to where I am today. So. Yeah. It's funny. Cause now the airlines are all about it. I think, um, it's really fun. Like in the, in a very small world instance, one of my first trips off IOE at SkyWest, the flight attendant on that pairing, She's doing her training from someone that I like worked with and helped teach here at InFlight. 
Awesome. And she's using the PRO that uh, that like Sky West has now that you can like, they'll give you money and they'll help, they'll give you the time off and then you come back and you fly for them for quite a bit. But yeah, the airlines seem to have gotten a lot more supportive in trying to, I guess, cannibalize is a weird word, but that's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, so I kind of want to pivot. So you're, you, you're working on your commercial. You have 250 hours and presumptively like a single engine, mm-hmm. um, single engine commercial license. Mm-hmm. And somehow you make that jump that everybody wants to Southern Airways, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people fly instructing is not their thing. You know, you talk about paying, paying your dues is out there teaching stalls and slow flight. Like, you know, there's a lot of fun aspects of being a flight instructor, but we always talk about how the worst part of it, the worst part of being a flight instructor is the first 10 lessons, you know, teaching things that you innately know to somebody that's not getting it and you're pulling your hair about, but once they get it, then it's super fun. So how did you make that jump from commercial single engine to getting to fly the caravan that a lot of people have wanted to do, but haven't been able to find that opportunity. Yeah, it's a, it it was actually things just fell into place, honestly. Um, But I would like to start off with this. So I, my very first job offer wasn't with Southern Airways. That was actually the job that I said, okay, the first one that gave me a job isn't working out. So I, I, I got to figure something else out now. Um, I actually got hired by Mokulele Airlines. And this was before the acquisition of Mokulele by Southern. So small world there. And we'll connect the dot here in a little bit. But uh, when I was a, a customer service agent at Hawaiian Airlines, you know, I was networking. I mean, you see my social media. I'm like constantly talking and making friends with everybody else. Um, and then one day I was actually called to a gate because we had an oversold situation on a transcon flight from Honolulu to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, I believe. And so um, at that time, I was a uh, I was a temporary uh, customer service chief agent, which basically a supervisor. So I show up to the gate and, you know, the agent that was working there just mentioned, Hey, look, we, we've got this situation uh, where we're, we're kind of oversold in, in the back, but we have seats open in first class. So I said, okay, have we done everything that we're supposed, we're supposed to do? Do we have any, you know, membership or elite members that, that can be upgraded? Yes. We've already looked at that. There's nobody. Okay, have you already made announcements to offer if anybody wants to pay for the upgrade? Yes, we already done it. Nobody wants to do it. So everything had been exhausted. So I looked and I said, the first thing I asked the lady was, look on the flight, the passenger list, and see if there's anybody traveling by themselves. And for whatever reason, on this particular flight, there's only one person traveling by themselves and not associated with with another itinerary. So we call this gentleman up and... uh and uh, he shows up and I said, hey, sir, today's your lucky day. Your ID, please. We're, we're, we're giving you a, a – uh, we've got authorization to, to give you a complimentary upgrade to first class. And he was like, whoa, what? And I said, yeah. So um, after going through everything else, he came up to me on the side and he said, can I share something with you? I said, sure. He goes, out of my 40 years in aviation, this is the first time that this has actually ever happened to me without me having to – either ask for it. I said, well, just things just happened. And, uh, you know, we need to push this flight out. We don't need any delays. And, and we got authorization from management and so forth. Said, okay, sounds good. Then he asked, hey, who's flying this airplane? And I, I still remember picking up the flight list and I said the name of the captain and he goes, huh, well, what do you know? 
I gave that guy his first flying job 37 years ago. Whoa. And I said, what? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, it's funny. He's actually one of my mentors here at Hawaiian Airlines. He goes, are you flying? I said, well, I'm trying to. It's expensive. It's $7 a gallon and $300 to rent a 152 here in Honolulu. So he said, okay, well, when you get your hours, you give me a call. Here's my number. And he hands me a card. And because I was so busy, I didn't really pay attention. I just grabbed the card, put it in my pocket. And it wasn't until later on that day when I went home and I pulled out the card and I looked and the name of the gentleman was Ron Hansen. And on the bottom of Ron Hansen's name said, owner, president, and founder of Mokulele Airlines. No way. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll hang on to this card. I might need this in a few years from now. So fast forward back to, you know, uh, my first ever job offer. As soon as I got my commercial check right passed, I picked up that card and I called and I was like, he's not going to answer. He answers. And I said, I don't know if you remember. And I started telling the story and he goes, of course I remember you. It's the first time that that ever happened to me in my career, you know, uh, you know, in aviation. And uh, so I said, well, Hey, you know, I don't know if you remember Uh-oh. what you said to me then. Um, gotcha. So, all right, well let's let's keep it going. So you 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 so for for everybody listening, Wi-Fi bumped me off, so we're back. You just gotten a call. Um or sorry, you just called your your the guy. I think it was Ron was his name. Yeah, Ron, yeah. And uh so did he actually answer? Yeah, yeah. It was surprisingly I didn't expect him to answer, but he he answered the phone and uh, you know, I kind of gave him just a brief of, hey, this is who I am. This is when we met. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember giving me your card. And before I could finish, he said, of course, I remember you. You know, like I said, it was the first time that this has ever happened to me that what you did for for me that day. So, you know, I really appreciated it. And uh, uh, and so he said, so how's flight training going? I said, well, hey, funny you ask, because that's why I'm calling you. Uh, and I told him I got my commercial single and uh, I'm ready to uh, ready to get my career started. So. He said, okay, let me call you back. And about, yeah, I'll say 10 minutes, he calls me back. And he said, uh, I'm going to give you the information to the chief pilot at Mokulele, and then you guys can talk it over. But I've, I've given him my recommendation. So I got the information from him. I called the chief pilot. Chief pilot said, okay, well, here are the days that I'm available on, and we can do an interview. And I said, okay, uh, how would you like to do the interview? Do you want to do the interview via, you know, uh, whatever online and and he said oh no here in maui and i said oh you want me to come all the way down there for the interview of course i didn't say it like that but uh, he said yeah yeah and you come here face to face and i said okay uh sir i live in tulsa oklahoma he goes oh i thought you were local i said i used to be local uh but i live in tulsa now he goes well you got to figure something else out so i Got online, found a ticket, super cheap ticket, and my plan was to fly down there on the same day and come back on the red eye and arrive back home the following day. So, you know, everybody told me, all my friends that flew from Oklahoma before I got hired, there was, uh, they all advised me, oh, dude, it's laid back, just wear Aloha shirt and some slacks and you'll be good. You don't have to dress up. And that's just not my personality. You know, I I was raised by a, uh, a retired army staff sergeant uh, who is now a pastor that, you know, first impressions are everything. 
and, uh, you know, nothing like a, a nice press suit and, and all that stuff. So I, I literally wore a suit, flew to, to Maui uh, on the day that we had scheduled, got there. It was blazing hot in the middle of July, but still I had to, you know, show him that I really wanted this. Uh, the chief pilot met me at the baggage claim, walked me over to the Mokalele terminal, and the interview was literally so laid back. It was actually in there behind the check-in counters in the back area, sitting on two chairs, looking at their caravans coming in and leaving. And we're just sitting there, you know, and uh, having a conversation. And at the end of the conversation and the interview, he said, all right, cool. Well, I like you, man. And uh, we want to bring you on board and, and all of this stuff. So great. So he said, somebody else is going to reach out to you as far as a class date. Long story short, this person who was supposed to get to me did not get to me until uh, until the end of September. And the wording from the individual was, uh, send me your information again. I can't seem to find your application anywhere. I said, okay, great. Uh, and so I called the chief pilot back. And sure enough, the response from the chief pilot was, hey, dude, I'm going to give your name to this other guy who's going to be the new chief pilot because I am leaving for the airlines. <laughs> I said, Okay, so it was it was kind of a mess, um, and so I got into panic mode and said, "Well, you know what? I'm already stressing out about moving my wife and my my son to Hawaii and having to find a place because all my parents, uh, but my parents and my family had left the island. They moved to Seattle, so there's no home to go back to to Hawaii." Um. So anyway, I reached out to another friend of mine who I knew flew for a company that had caravans here in the mainland, doing the same thing as Mokulele. And he called me back and he says, are you looking for a job? You got your ratings? I said, yep, got it. He goes, let me call you back. And about an hour later, I get a call back. All right, you got to call this lady. I just spoke to the director of operations. who's a really good friend of mine. And he says, you've got to talk to this lady. But he sent his recommendation in to, to get you on board. So when I finally got to speak to this lady who did the hiring at the time, she's no longer there. She's actually running the hiring at Commute Air right now. Uh, oh. when I, yeah, when I spoke to her, it, it took me about a week from the first conversation with her during our interview. I was offered the job at the end of the interview under a condition that I had to have my commercial multi add-on as well because they still had two uh, chieftains uh, on their certificate. So everybody still had to have a multi-engine uh, rating as well. But the good thing is that the next available class wasn't until like a month later. I think it was like uh, uh, November. So anyway, I hustled, got my multi-rating, and then started with Southern Airways. Um, and at the time, again, getting hired at Southern, because no one really knew about them until the acquisition of Mokulele. And now the company, I mean, it had just blown up. Uh you know, from when, when I was there. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I got my started. Uh, they were hiring pilots based on referral from pilots that were already flying there. And, uh, and so I think again, everything just fell into place from that Mokulele, from that Mokulele story. Um, you know, cause had I not had that conversation with the Mokulele pilot, I would have not remembered that. I also had another friend from American Samoa who flew for a company similar here in the U.S., uh, here in the mainland, um, flying caravans, and that was Southern Airways. So, um, again, so how did you find the caravan? Because that flying is um, that I've seen that they do is to some pretty like you know small towns, and I'm guessing it's 
you know, you're not climbing high to get above weather. You know, you're kind of fighting. You're fighting through a lot of stuff there. And you right. got no so, bathroom. No, no, for sure. Um, I think it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and nothing against being a CFI because I actually took the FOI, the FIA, all that stuff to get my CFI. Like just like everybody else, right? Trying to trying to go through the standard route that everybody is is going through. Um, but again, I just was very fortunate to be able to get this job right after flight training and not having to 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 do CFI. Um, the caravan is a solid airplane. Now there are times when it can give you a headache. Um, but the type of flying that we did at Southern Airways and they continue to do today is essential air service. And basically what it is, Department of Transportation subsidizes these routes to companies like Southern Boutique, Air Choice One, all these companies, Cape Air, to connect these smaller communities to the bigger transportation network here in the U.S. Um because I think Sky West does a little bit of that, does some essential air service flying from like, right. I remember some of the routes we did exactly. um, were, were EAS, but I'm sure that there's a limit on like airport capability and yep. demand for filling up, for packing in 50 people into an RJ. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. I mean, that was the type of flying. Some of the routes that we picked up when I was at Southern were routes that were dropped from by Sky West because they couldn't fill the RJ uh, and, and make it work. Um, and, and quite frankly, Southern operating a nine seater passenger caravan, um, and only offering to do it for 2.5 to $3 million a year was a lot cheaper than having an RJ run it, you know, and they turned some of our flights into flow throughs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we would go Minneapolis to Hibbing, mm -hmm. Hibbing to Air National Falls, then back down. Just to, and, just to fill the seats up. Yeah. And I was care. There was one day I carried three people to Hibbing. One person carried on with us to International Falls, then zero the way back down. Right? I mean, and so that was just, and that was just all government money, right? There exactly. was no, so. Yeah, and it was fun flying, but, you know, believe it or not, it was actually fun because, again, all the pilots were based in the smaller town. So you were actually able to be a part of the community and these people knew who you were. They also had regular passengers who are on those flights every single day because uh, up in the Northeast corridor, when I was based up there, we flew into BWI and also into Pittsburgh. Um, and then our guys down in Florida flew from Palm beach to Tampa, Palm beach to Destin, Palm beach to Key West. That route though, wasn't essential service. That one was uh, there for profit. That was just the company run, run uh, route, but the routes up in the Northeast, we did that. Now, They've added flying into Dulles. They've added flying into Atlanta. They've added flying into O'Hare. So they've grown big time since I've left. Um, and then when I upgraded to Captain, uh, I was based down in Arkansas. And we flew from small towns in Arkansas like Hot Springs, Harrison, and El Dorado into DFW and to Memphis on a daily basis. I also did a little bit of flying as a captain over in California in Imperial County, which was originally a Mokulele route. And we flew like four or five legs a day between Imperial County to LAX every day. Um, yes, we don't go high. The limit for Southern's SOP is that you can't go above 10,000 feet, period. Um, now you can, the, the airplane, the airplane's max ceiling is 25,000, but you don't dare do that because there's no oxygen on the airplane. It's not pressurized. Yeah. Um, 
So we operate at basically any altitude up to 10,000 feet. Um, in the Northeast, the biggest threat up there was during the winter. I mean, I've had multiple flights and, you know, icing conditions. We had a couple of, uh, uh, you know, during the winter, you're, you're almost guaranteed you're flying about seven to eight legs a day and your shooting approaches almost on every single leg down to minimums. Uh, you know, you're, you're operating in icing conditions, you're operating in airports with, with, you know, very poor, um, uh, how would I call it? Yeah. Maintenance of the runways or, or whatnot, as far as, you know, getting the, the ice and snow and, you know, runways prep, but it was still legal because we still had what was broadcasted, what we needed to operate in and out of there. Um, and so when I escaped that as a first officer, I said, okay, great. I'm a captain now. I'm going to go have some easy flying down in the Gulf, you know, down in, in, in Arkansas, down in Texas. And uh, it just so happened to be the time when it was tornado and thunderstorm season. So then now we got that to deal with down here. Um, same thing, flying around thunderstorms, major delays. You're going into DFW and they're telling you to max, you know, max forward speed all the way to a three mile final. And uh, because you're holding up all the jets coming into land, you know, so, um, you know, thankfully those runways are all about nine to 10, you know, 11,000 feet yeah. long, but still, um, you know, you, you never want, you're always trained to always be on an, on an IFR flight plan to be established by a thousand feet or depending on what your SOP says. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun flying, uh, like I said, it, we never went above 10,000 feet. We dealt with weather situations. We had passengers on board. Um, and then, of course, during COVID, uh, because it's a central air service, um, I saw this a lot in California. We had maybe one passenger per leg, some legs empty. But because it's already paid for, we have to run these legs. So in a way, it kind of – I was very fortunate to be able to still be in that job because even when people weren't flying, the planes were still moving. So we're still, you know, getting paid, still building the flight time, um, and still operating the flights. Yeah. So uh, that was the kind of flying that I had at Southern. It was it was really fun, but it, you know, up to a certain point, then you're like, okay, you know, I've I feel like I w I don't want to say mastered that type of operation, but it's time for to learn more. You know, I think mm -hmm. I've gotten plateaued at. I think I've learned most of what I need to know, and I've done this for two and a half years. It's time for me to go above the clouds. Let me see what's up there. How do we find the flight levels and all that, all that good stuff? So, so uh, what was your next step? So, actually, at fifteen hundred hours, this was all again pre-COVID. At fifteen hundred hours, I decided to put in my application uh, to Mesa. Uh, well, I wouldn't say application. I was it was a part of the cadet program and the partnership with with Southern Airways. Um, I got a class date. Was getting ready for a class date. And this was, I believe, the end of 2019. I got a, a class date and it, they told me, okay, it's going to be the last class of December. Then COVID started making its way to our shores. Okay, well, now the, we can't have more than 50 people in a room at once. Okay, now we can't have more than 30 people in a room at once. And you're at the bottom of the seniority list. So we're going to have to postpone your class. Then from postponing my class to now your class is canceled indefinitely. So when they did that, I actually stayed with Southern, but it got to the point where, okay, I, I stayed, I can't do this anymore. Uh, so I stayed an extra year uh, and still waiting. Mesa was still not, COVID was starting to go away. 
people were starting to rehire again, but Mesa was still like, we still have a lot of people that we furloughed that we need to get back before we even get to you. I applied to commute air. They were like, well, same thing. I, you know, I got, uh, I applied to air Wisconsin. Oh, we're not hiring right now. Okay, cool. So, um, then I found a local charter company in Oklahoma city through a, a friend here in Tulsa said, well, you got turbine time now. Why don't you just go ahead and ask them and see if they have any SIC jobs? So I got in a suit. I printed out my resume. I drove an hour and 45 minutes west to Oklahoma city, went to this place, asked for the chief pilot. Chief pilot wasn't there, but their hiring manager was, he comes down, sees me in a suit. It's like, what's going on? I said, this is who I am. This is everything I've done. And I'm really interested in a job if you have any for me. He said, nope, sorry, we don't have anything right now. We're still bringing back our guys that we furloughed. Great. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Please keep my resume and, and keep me in mind. Good. Three months later, I actually get a text message from this individual. And the individual says, how would you like to be an SIC in a beach jet? I said, I will take it. He said, 60000 a year, okay? I said, great, 10000 more than what I made as a captain at Southern. Absolutely, I'll take it. So that happened. You know, that was my next step. I got into a beach jet next hand, uh, which had Ooh, like 21. I know somebody who flew that. Oh, it's a beautiful airplane. Um, now, minus thrust reversers, there's no TRs on that airplane. But, you know, FADEC engines help out a little bit. You can get to 430 like nothing uh, compared to a straight beach jet. Um, and I, I got into it. I got into the beach jet, flew it for about six months there until Mesa called me back and they're like, Hey, um, we got a class date for you. And so that kind of, I was like, okay, I'm making 60 right now plus bonuses. So 70 at the end of the day and Mesa, who's only going to pay me $36 an hour wants me to come back. Ooh, this is bad. I just had a little taste of corporate flying right now and flying a jet, you know. So um, it was a hard decision to make, but you know, my goals were still set. You know, don't 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 let what's happening now deter your your path of what you've been working on for the rest of your you know since since you started this process. So resigned from my job flying the beach jet and gave up a upgrade on the beach jet to go back to Mesa and uh, went back to Mesa started training and then we were told after systems to go home because we don't have any sim slots available uh because all the spots that we had we had to give up during covid uh for the sake of the company and i believe your company were smart about it and snagged them all uh when they could because then obviously yeah and obviously you kind of yeah. saw that when when hiring happened to get into the regionals i mean sky west was just pumping them through but mesa guys on the 175 were just sitting there like so when do we go? And we keep reaching out. And so this was, I started. Funny enough. Saying, one funny aside on that though, mm -hmm. is um, Sky West, at least on the CRJ killed it with booking 200 Sims, <laughs> but they messed up booking a 700 Sim because they have three of them and they used them. They use like two of them. For, I think they had three. They use like one for CQ perpetually in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And that one can be switched between two and seven. Okay. And then they had one in Atlanta and one in St. Louis. And so they were sending new hires to Atlanta to do their seven, nine differences. Cause that's just one session. Mm -hmm. um, and 
there was something that happened with flight safety where like they never they like double booked them or they never booked that oh, seven no. nine again. And my buddy who worked on in flight was flown down to Atlanta to get to flight safety to have them on that day be like, this isn't your sim. You have no sim here. So there were pilots being released to the line at SkyWest for a while who could only fly to 200 because there were people not getting through seven, nine differences. And then they figured it out. They, uh, they, they actually did a pretty good job of figuring that out, but it was for me a little over two months before between finishing my LOE on the CRJ and then getting my seven, nine differences sim. So it was, yeah, SkyWest certainly handled that sim situation well, but <laughs> that was a, that was a funny one when people were getting sent down there. There was I'm going to jump seat home because I've got right. <laughs> Right. No, and that was that was a situation at, at, at Mesa, you know, and and uh, and again, you know, everybody listening right now. I mean, that's when I think we started getting to know each other uh, via social media was when, um, you know, I came back home and I just was just like I had to go and pick up a job at a warehouse uh, selling gym equipment and packing them for the big stores because what I was making at Mesa on training pay just wasn't doing it. You know, I got a mortgage, I've got, you know, cars, I've got two kids I got to feed at this point. Um, and so I just couldn't do it anymore. And this was training pay is tough. Yes. I was in, I was in the September class and then, um, I worked at the, I worked at the warehouse from October, November. And that's when I said, enough is enough. I can't because I, you know, every week I would send an email in, Hey, any update. And it was either the emails were not responded to, or yeah, we're still not, we don't have anything for you. Okay, great. So then I said, okay, what's the next best thing? And, you know, I said, you know what, do I really want to go lateral to another regional or should I just try to see what's next? Right. At this point I had, I believe 2,200 hours total time. And I had about 2000 hours of turbine. And I said, well, I'm sure, you know, a, a ultra low cost carrier or an LCC will look at me. So I applied to spirit. I applied to, um, uh, frontier. I applied basically JetBlue and sun country. And Sun Country was the only one that uh, responded rather quickly. And they flew me up to Minneapolis, came up there, got interviewed, offered the job about three days later. It was super exciting. Just the thought of, hey, I'm about to go fly a 7.3. This is awesome, right? Now, the commute sucked for people like me living in Tulsa to try to get to Minneapolis. But, you know, I made it work, right? Um, so did the training with with Sun Country for a little bit and then, you know, found the opportunity at NetJets. And I said, well, you know, I did do a little bit of corporate flying for about six months and I really kind of enjoyed it. And, um, and it's home based, you know, it's got a decent salary and, uh, the potential for growth and, and retirement looks pretty good. And maybe this might be my, my final step. And, uh, so anyway, the end of that search, I decided to, uh, you know, pursue NetJets and went to NetJets. And uh, I've been, you know, I was there started in April of 2022. So. I've heard it's fantastic. I have a buddy who works at a, who works at a 
like a, it's, I don't think they're, I think I'm, I'm not going to say the place, but it's, it's not a fractional, but it's a 135, very okay. similar operation. <clears throat> and he actually has an interview with like with a low cost carrier mm-hmm. and he's not sure about it because he loves the right. quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I actually have another buddy too, who flies for a 135 operator but who is going to some country because he has a 14, 13 schedule. Okay. Which is a little harder on like having a family, right. but my but my friend who goes, I think it was eight six. He's like, well, he's actually, I think he's interviewing in NetJets because awesome. he's like, I, I can go seven seven. Why would I? Why would I go back to reserve? Why right. would I? Mm-hmm. You know, when I can, you know, sit myself at this airline or this fractional for the rest of my life and Absolutely. have a relatively constant schedule, I could make a career out of flying this plane. And yeah. so I've heard that that can be a tough, you know, decision to make. It is a tough decision for a lot of the candidates that come in, especially um, the younger ones, uh, including myself, because we are now in the post-COVID era where, you know, I don't want to say it in a negative way, but things are coming easy, easier than than they were, right? Which is a good thing. That used to be a place you were an airline pilot that you retired to. Absolutely, and 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 we, everybody always thought of NetJets as that that it, it was more than a regional, and probably in the same line as the LCCs, you know, like the Spirits and the Frontiers and Jet Blues, right? Um, and there's a lot of career guys there. I mean, the most senior person on the NetJets uh, seniority list, I believe, was hired in 1986, mm-hmm. and he's jetting around in a Global 6000 right now, going all over the world. Um, so when I when I got on board with NetJets, uh, that was that was the, the thought in my mind that wow, they really treated me like family during the application and the interview process. Which for for those who are probably considerate who are going to be listening to this, um, they're pretty rigorous try, with with uh, with their application and their interview process because it isn't like your typical. Uh, airline interview where it's a one day thing. You show up, you do HR, then you do a little bit of a technical, and then we'll see you later and we'll let you know. NetJets will fly you up to Columbus, Ohio, put you in a hotel, and it's a two day selection process. And that's a br- and I, I I think at some point I've heard that they've moved off that. I because I because I had an interview at NetJets mm-hmm. and I could never and it's tough because like I'm a junior first officer because I applied just to see what would happen right? right like one too many one too many CRJ 200 trips that never left the state of Minnesota and I got a little curious right right and so I applied and I was like okay let's give this a shot I, I've always, airlines has always been what I wanted I've been mm-hmm. true to that from the start like this is what I want to do I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna suck it up. But I, I had to know. I had to go taste the forbidden fruit, but I couldn't even get myself to go to there because they wanted you that, – that process is so hard if you're a junior FO who has no control over the schedule. I'm like, you know, number 100%. I'm bidding 100% of line holders, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, can you make these days work? I'm like, I don't even know if I can get my wife's birthday off. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that where the, the footprint of the interview is so large that if you are actually a line flying pilot at a regional, the odd, it's difficult to get three days off in a row to begin with. So then right. to get three days, to get the three days off that they want you to get is very, very hard. And I, I, I didn't want to use one of my platinum days 
you know, to, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to use a platinum day to go test the waters at a, you know, at, at, a, at a company that I wasn't 100% sure about right. at the time. Right. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you have to look at, at things like that and, and you have to know kind of going into it that this could happen or, or, uh, you know, I might not be able to, to get in there. And, and the fact that you, you have the ability to say, well, I just can't make it work is, is great because I know some people will, will, go to the end of the world and, and do everything that they can to make it to the interview just to not be selected at the end of the process. And then now you mm-hmm. end up, like you said, the platinum day, right? Um, yeah. So for those of you that don't know what a platinum day is, that are listening, a platinum day is a sick call. <laughs> that's, that's just for, for everybody out there who's not an airline person. A platinum <laughs> day is a sick call. <laughs> now, you know, um, one of the many, uh, jargon and lingos and yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it was a two day process. They flew me up there. The first day was, um, uh, you know, they, they have this career expo, which is basically, they tell you, you're going to come up here and we're just going to be here to answer any questions that you may have. Little do people know is that it is also a hiring event. So you can't just wander and meander around and act like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, and show up in a polo shirt tucked in you know, into a pair of pants and, and go wander around. No, you're being interviewed at the same time. You don't even know it, but they're interviewing. Believe it or not, they actually have, uh, for those of you who are going to be uh, attempting to go to NetJets, uh, they actually have what they call spies during these processes or people with cameras randomly walking around and, and taking pictures of the events because they kind of want to see at the end of the day when they go back and look at a candidate and say, well, was he mingling with everybody? Was she talking to this person? Did she even go and say hi to everybody? Or did she just say hi to one person and leave? You know? Yeah, because you have to make a way bigger judge of your personality there because your customer service as a NetJets pilot is such a higher level than as an airline pilot. Absolutely. Because you you interact like you know, you try and interact with, with the customers mm-hmm. as a pilot, but there's so many times that it's like I got an hour turn, I gotta go grab lunch, I gotta go get a walk, I gotta get a walk around in, you know, and you're just running back and forth between right. things. You're not, you don't touch a bag unless, you know, you get, you can get into those situations, but it's you as a pilot aren't expected to be part of the experience and nobody's handing you a tip at the end of a, and nobody's nobody, you know, very few people, I guess, are basing whether or not they'll fly Delta again, based off their mm-hmm. chance encounter with you standing in the jet bridge. Um, it's, it's certainly important to the brand, but it's Absolutely. not, it's not to the same level that it is where you represent the experience because I think a way to put it. And as I ramble here, the average Delta passenger doesn't own a fraction of that 737 exactly. that they're on. And that's, that's a huge part of it. Right. And, and that's, and that's a, the biggest thing that NetJets looks at. It looks at your personality. It looks at the way you interact with others because you are going to be the face of the company out there. You're going to be not only the pilot, you're going to be the flight attendant, the baggage handler. You're going to be the, uh, you know, the dog walker. You're going to be the, all these things, right? So they want to make sure that they have an all round candidate, which not to say that no one can do it. Everybody can possibly do it. It's just, you know, the type of flying, there's so many, there's a variety of flying out there and, and different types of, pilot jobs. It's just, this is what they were looking for. Right. So, I mean, again, it was a great company, uh, uh, to go through that process with, because, you know, they were really big on that. Um, and I was very fortunate to get the phone call and they wanted to offer me the job. And, uh, there were several guys that I made friends with who I went to the hiring event with who didn't get, you know, fortunate to get the call. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, again, this happened in April. And, uh, you know, I've because of flying with NetJets, I've actually been able to go to several international destinations that most of the time are poster cards and, you know, you've never been to. And Yeah, I think I saw you got to go to you got to go to Aspen more than like most people. Um, yeah, it's yeah. super funny. It was, it was super funny seeing people. It's super funny seeing my friends go to Aspen who like fly uh, that kind of flying because SkyWest is the only 121 carrier that goes in there. And it requires you to get on a separate seniority list actually to go in there. You have to go through DMA training, designated mountainous mm-hmm. airport. You, you have to do semi you get like an additional CQ every year through that. It's a completely, and I don't think it's jeopardy. But it's a it's a very big deal to take a 121 carrier, it, and, I, and I've always found that funny how big of a deal it is to take a 121 airplane into Aspen. But then there's like all these other guys just bouncing in there all day long, um, yeah. and I, I can't imagine your procedures are as intense as the 121 stuff to get into Aspen. What was that? What was there anything like that for you guys, or was it pretty simple? Absolutely. So I've been into Aspen before with a part 135 operator, uh, which was who I flew the one, the beach shed with. And I've also gone in a matter of fact, in one tour five times, uh, in the XLS and not to put the other company down, but it was kind of like, okay, well, here's a chart. Let's just fly the chart. Right. And, you know, look out for this. Let me know when you see that and blah, 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 blah. NetJets, the beauty of NetJets is although it is a corporate operator, a pro- we actually look at it, all the pilots and employees at NetJets look at it as a private airline. NetJets, I don't know about the other competitors, but we have licensed Part 121 dispatchers. We have dispatchers that dispatch our flight releases. We get, you know, we get our, we can't leave without the flight release. We get everything on there, our performance numbers, our, our engine out procedures, all of these good things. Um, that the airline pilots are also getting, you know, so um, we have special operation, uh, special uh, consideration airports. And Aspen is obviously one of them. Aspen uh, is one of those airports. Vegas, believe it or not, Las Vegas is one of them. Truckee uh, especially became very big for us since that 605 or 604 went down, I think Mm -hmm. a year or two ago. Um. And so NetJets has a FOQA team that actually goes out there and flies these patterns. And we, they actually have their own published approach procedures that is an agreement between them and the FAA. So whenever they give us a, you know, an RNAV visual for a particular runway, our chart is probably different than what everybody else is looking at because net. Yeah. And SkyWest had the same thing. We had crazy right. charts. You could go into your, it, they were listed under company charts. They weren't listed under the FAA charts in flight deck pro. Right. Right. There's exactly. like 20 things. It's like bounced landing IMC, bounced landing VMC. And I mean, and the level of detail, I mean, and, and how contrived it was. I think if you were actually flying an IMC approach into Aspen, the, because I don't know about you guys, but, you know, pilot flying has, you know, controls the MCP and mm-hmm. controls the throttle. They actually, at SkyWest, they separated it to where it was a captain landing every time. Captain, if it was an IMC, the FO managed the FCP at the captain's direction while the captain focused solely on thrust. Yeah, so so you actually had two people essentially flying the plane because, because the captain was pilot flying but not manipulating the for those... And MCD is a mode control panel for the autopilot. But yeah, it was wild going in there. I never got to do it, but I know someone who did. And he said it was pretty intense. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been in there when, when the weather's been low and uh, the way we operated was whoever the pilot flying is, is the pilot flying or the pilot monitoring is because mind you too, like, I mean, our airplanes don't have auto throttles, at least the one I'm in. The XLS doesn't have it. The Phenom doesn't have it. The latitude and the longitude and our challengers all have them. So, you know, those, those guys are, it, it's kind of in a different way lessens the workload a little bit but not as much uh but i don't know how far the CRJ, we didn't have auto throttle so right I could, I so, so it makes sense that you were doing that um and and so i mean i don't know how far you've gone into training with sun country yet but you know when you get to the sims and you do your auto land uh qualification it's very similar to that where the fos to fly it all the way down <laughs> until you kind of see the runway and then that's when the captain takes over and kind of like okay i got it and do the rest of it from there that's what we did for cat twos at sky west if you were a cat two on a cat two um pilot monitoring flew it or sorry fo flew it to basically you you just flew it to a mist that your your presumption was your i'm flying this to a mist approach and the until captain, the captain takes, calls that he's landing so the captain takes the plane from me um gotcha. And that was really weird psychologically because if you started off because you did them in the sim and you would be pilot flying at takeoff. So you would be kind of planning out in your mind what's going to happen, even just for a box pattern, you know, that you do in the sim, you know, like you have your idea. You're, you're, it's been your mental model this whole time. Mm-hmm. And the one time I did a cat two at sky West, it was the captain's leg. And so to inherit a plane, at like 7,000 feet on an arrival and mm-hmm. jump from the pilot monitoring mindset right. into the pilot flying mindset. Like, whoa, 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 where am I? Like I've, I've seen the ILS one, two left into mini a million times. What, what fix is that? You know, it, it actually is a weird, it's a weird jump. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah. It, 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 and that's the thing I, I really enjoyed about flying uh, for NetJets is, is they operate like an airline. Like, I mean, they have these standard operating procedures with very, uh, strategic planning, uh, so to speak. As a matter of fact, our operations, we didn't call them just, you know, call ops. It was strat ops, strategic operations, because they're always, you know, they even had a meteorology department. So if, if, if a captain is not sure about the weather, they you can pick up the phone, call meteorology, and they'll tell you, okay, here's what I'm looking at. Here's what's going on. Here's what I recommend, you know. So it kind of the way NetJets explained it to us as new hires was we are giving you all the tools and all the information and all the resources. So when you go out there, it doesn't affect your, your personality being with the owners, you know? So, uh, you know, mind you, NetJets, I would say 90, 98, maybe more percent of the people that we fly are shareholders. They're, they're, they're owners of, uh, of these airplanes. Um, you know, during COVID, they opened up a jet car program, but there's very few uh, of those in, in the process. So, um, again, it was a great experience for anyone who's considering it to go there. I mean, it's a great place to retire. I've flown with many captains who left the airlines to go there and have upgraded as captains. Now, the big thing is, is that I know some some people want to go in and want to upgrade right away. I heard it's a long started. Well, it, so NetJets when when I first started, uh, not too long ago, the word around town was the upgrades were at twelve years. Then about six months ago, about I well, don't know two three months ago, it went from okay now we're upgrading people from the two thousand fifteen hire date. Well, now word around town is that the upgrades have officially gone down to five years. And so there's another email that just went out that they say they are considering upgrading 
Uh, it's going to be to the point where they're going to be upgrading 2021 higher dates by the beginning of next, by I think the summer of this year. Yeah, so that age cap, I guess now. it's not thrown on them. Must have really well, and, right, and because of that new thing that Congress passed or, or whatever with a 70. Right. Yeah, it's 70. So now NetJets, I think, is also management is also looking at that. Okay. All right, guys, 65 for the airlines, but we're going to cut it off at 70. Because if you're operating part 135, which is most of the flying that NetJets does, I believe, going to Europe, some of these international countries don't allow 65-year-old pilots coming in. Mm -hmm. So so they're facing that issue, too, right now. Um, But other than that, you know, for for the new pilots rising through the ranks and through the experience it's a great place to be if that's what you want to do if you want to do corporate flying um and that kind of lifestyle it's wonderful you'll stay at hotels you get to keep the points you get to keep you know all these statuses and everything like that unlike the airlines um so yeah i really enjoyed it i mean i was assigned the xls it wasn't the most modern airplane that they have at netjets at least it's not Um, the phenom well, you know what? I, honestly, you know, I have about two, three hundred hours in in G, you know, the Garmin G one thousands, G three thousand. So, I was kind of hoping to get into either the Phenom or the Latitude. But my class was, I think, the only class in twenty twenty two that got awarded the most XLS assignments. We had twenty four guys go to the XLS. Wow! Uh, and and then the following classes after that were heavy on the Latitudes, on the Longitudes, and on the Challengers and stuff. The Longitude is a beautiful plane. It is. It is. And I've heard if you flew the CRJ, it's like auto to the Challenger. That's what I've heard. Like, yeah, yeah it's it's a great airplane. Um, from what I've seen, um, it's an airplane that I wanted to get into. Um, and so, I mean, the opportunity of growth there is is happening right now. Um, you get seat locked right as a new hire into the airplane that you've got. So I have a, a buddy who's only been there for a year and a half. He got hired into the Phenom. And because they needed people in the Challenger 650, what they had done was they had waived the seat locks. And so he was able to get into the Challenger 650, which is an airplane that only people, I believe, like 15 to up to 20 years are in, you know, as SICs. So um, he's pretty excited about that because that's what he flew. Uh, you know, he flew the CRJ uh, in the regional. So getting into the CRJ, the Challenger 650, it's basically your CRJ 200, a little shorter. And with ProLine 21 Fusion in the front rather than the old school stuff that the CRJs have right now. You know? And you're probably not manually swapping bleeds. Um, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so kind of a niche question here. I saw you went to Toronto recently. Uh-huh. Did you fly into Pearson? We did. Wow, How bureaucratically horrible is that airport with ATC? <laughs> I used to – at SkyWest, we used to have to brief the biggest threat. As every for every departure and arrival briefing, I just used to always say this airport is the biggest threat. I mean, the amount of people you have to talk to to go anywhere around there, and it's like I don't understand it. You got to talk to one ramp guy to let a, to have that other guy let you know that you can monitor him, and then you go back to another ramp guy, and then I and then yeah, I I cannot stand. I used to go there all the time. Like I go to I used in my time at Sky West. I went to Toronto so much that my TikTok feed actually, like through following my location, randomly sends me like fun things to do in Toronto. And like I get Canadian content now tailored to Canadians <laughs> on my TikTok because I was in Toronto so much. Yeah. So well, I'm just curious what you thought of the airport. I mean, it, it's 
It is, but I th- it, it's it's crazy, right? If you're going in there for the first time, which it was for me for the first time going in there recently, um, when I posted that uh, skyline shot of it, you know, up at altitude. Um, but then, funny thing is that two days after that, all I had done was Toronto to Buffalo, literally seven minutes, and then Buffalo to Rochester, Minnesota, back to Buffalo, back to Toronto, just hopping the pond, <laughs> you know, on those short yeah. flights. Um, but it wasn't too bad for me just quite being honest and i think the big help was because of flying into dfw and also flying into o'hare uh you know several times in the caravan um and the beach jet you know kind of prepped me for that so um did you have to talk to an apron while you were there at all or did yeah, you so, so when we got it we got in a little later right we got in late in the evening so you know obviously we joined we joined the the, the path of their rnav or whatever it is for the runways running east and west and uh, so we got, you know, we, there was a long line and you can actually see them just like going into ORD. So we come into land and then, you know, we switched over from, what was it? From approach to final to someone else to someone else before we even turned base. There was like four controllers before we even turned Yeah, base. you talk to a million people and they, they every call there is really long and wordy. It's very long and wordy. And so the best part was for me is they turn us base and they said, I need you to speed up for me and do not slow down. And also, by the way, while it's still transmitting tower, need you to speed up. And when you get on the ground, I need you to get off on this high taxiway, make a left on so-and-so. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I'm, I'm still doing my call outs. Unable. Unable. Just unable. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, where we parked, we parked at the, uh, you know, obviously the corporate terminal right there in the center of the airport. So, you know, we just cleared that runway. We came over and then ground and then tower was like, okay, switch to ground. Then I switched to ground. Ground was like, switch to this other ground. Switch to that. Yeah, it's one two one point nine. One two one point nine is the east side, and one two one six five is the west side. There, I believe. Right. Yeah, and then I used to go there a lot. It's Wellstone Seven Green Bay. uh, Direct money for uh, it's it's direct money for the Nuber Five to get in there. That was. I think that's that's what it was. The Nuber Five and. You know, and then after that, it was like, okay, well, rock toe and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, right. And then that last ground control, I was like, all right, now contact apron. It's <laughs> like, okay. So we go in and then the day we left was, uh, you know, called apron and apron was like, are you ready to start your engines? Uh, yep. Meanwhile, we already started. One engine. Yeah. It's, it's so weird there. We're ready to start. And he's like, okay, advise when you're ready to taxi. Cool. Apron, we're ready to taxi. Okay. Contact ground. Okay. <laughs> we're ready to taxi. Well, it's really weird there too, because like, in I, if you in every American airport I've ever been to, like whether it be Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, mm-hmm. they don't hand you over. It's just assumed. Okay, I'm going over to ramp now because I'm in front of my ramp. I'm just going right. to ramp. <laughs> and you do that in Canada, and you get yelled at. Yeah. Like the first time I went there, I'm like taxiing down. I think it's Alpha, and I'm like, all right, like, hey, ramp or apron, Skywest. Like you weren't sent over here yet. You need to get back to ground. I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and it was chaos over in the little, in the um, American pre-cleared area. Uh-huh. It was just a chaotic ramp. There was like three entrances to it. And they always parked the RJs way in the back. Uh-huh. And it was like a two minute push to get out of there. And you'd go and it was this weird intersection. They just called it Alpha Kilo. And uh-huh. Apron would always send you over the ground and then call you back. They'd be like, no, 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 give way to the WestJet Encore. I'm like, oh, God, guys. <laughs> I hated it. But it was it was fun and it was challenging in its own way. And that was the airport that I went to the most, the overnight I liked the most. 
But at the same time, the most frustrating ground, it's, and it's kind of funny because you tell people ask you what's the hardest part of being a pilot and you say it's getting off the ground. Like once you get to the end of the runway, it's like, hell yeah, let's just go. Yeah, just but It's just, getting the yeah. plane boarded and moving it to the runway is the most chaotic thing on earth. Yep. Um, Absolutely. So I saw recently, this, this is our last question, then we'll jump to trivia. I saw recently on Instagram, you posted that you set the parking brake for the last time <laughs> at NetJets. Are you allowed to share what your plans are or is that, or is that, are you, are you keeping that a secret for a little bit longer? So I'm kind of keeping it a secret for a little bit longer. I mean, I can mention where I'm going, uh, just won't say the name, uh, and, and all those things. Um, only because in a way I kind of, you know, I'm Samoan, right? So us Polynesians are really big when it comes to superstitions and those kinds of things. And, you know, although, it didn't stop me from posting from all my previous experience, but this one I think means a little bit more to me uh, than the others had been. And not to say, you know, to discredit the others, but this is the, the, the pinnacle of my career at this point. Like I've in this, in a, in a way made it, but not quite yet. My foot is in the door, but I haven't been handed the keys, you know, to freely roam just yet. Right. Oh, so. same. I know exactly what you mean. Like when I got my wings at sky West, mm-hmm during this little ground ceremony they did, I was like, that's going in a drawer. Like, I'm not looking at that. And yeah. I, like fun country gave me these cool bag tags. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's going in the sock drawer. Oh, here's some links. That's going in the sock drawer. My wife is like, well, you can, re-. I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody says you're going to be fine. You're not fine until the ladder comes down. Like there's no greater sigh of relief right. than when the ladder comes down at the end of a simulator session and they haven't told you it's an unsat yet. Right. Exactly. That is well, a, until that ladder comes down, I am on edge, stressed, not really doing much with my life because I am superstitious to that effect too. Absolutely, and and so that's uh, you know where I am kind of with that. So uh, to the question, yes, I've set the parking brake for the last time on my Citation XLS uh, at at NetJets, um, and that actually my official last day was actually yesterday. But my last tour with them was last week. Um, gotcha. So you took you you had the nice seven days off for your. I had my nice seven days off, right? Right. Uh, so my original class date for the new employer was supposed to be January thirty first. So I was going to have like a good like two and a half, three weeks off. Um, but I think on day seven of my eight and six schedule, I was in Palm Beach, and I actually got a phone call. Um, in Palm Beach, and they called me and they said, "Hey, we got a class on the twenty fourth. Would you want it?" I was like. To take 50 spots, maybe possibly 60 spots, a, a seniority jump higher, absolutely, I'll take it, you know. So oh, I start yeah. next Tuesday with the new employer and uh, uh, one of our uh, legacy carriers here in the U.S. Uh, I'm very excited for it because, again, like I said, it's kind of like the, the the pinnacle, the final, the final uh, step in this journey that I've been through since 2017 when I started flight training. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll announce it pretty obviously soon, probably won't be until April or whatnot, uh, when all the training is done with this airline. Uh, and in the meantime too, a lot of my social media will be inactive. I, I, I'm decided to basically purge my phone of all social media until I'm done with training. Cause I need the 100% focus to be, uh, on the money here uh, for this particular job. So, um, I just, for I mean, me, it's like, I don't want my friends to know if I don't do well, 
that's the thing. Like I've shut my social media down to flying too. Yeah. The problem is I happen to just host a podcast where it has come <laughs> up and everybody and everybody knows. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, it's an unfortunate thing that a lot of people know about another training event on my end because I, you know, like I would like after every uh, validation at Sky West, I would then call my uh-huh. then fiance at the time and be like, "Hey, I passed my maneuvers validation." What's a maneuvers validation? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Don't, worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's the hardest thing you do as an airline pilot. <laughs> all right. Well, I have some trivia questions for you. I don't know if I can answer them all. I, I think you're going to do great. I uh, think you're going to do great because you flew a citation. Uh, so I believe. the first. So there's six questions. If you bat above 50%, we send you, we'll text you like a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> if you bat below 50%, you just get a smaller Starbucks gift card. So here's the first question. When was the first citation released? Like they, they flew a first one, but the first one like actually sold. What year was that? Honestly, I really do not know, but I'm just going to take a wild guess here. I'm going to say it's going to be probably in the 80s, maybe. No, 1972. 72. And the first one actually flew 1969. Gotcha. Okay. See, see, these are the kind of things that we don't think about anymore. It's (laughs) yeah. So, see, you're lucky because, like, we um, we had uh, my layover life on Paul. Right. And uh, he came in and talked to us, and I was like, it's going to be a lot harder than CQ, man. Like, you're going to wish we were asking you questions about RCCs and crosswinds. Like, you're gonna... <laughs> All right, question number two. What was the long-standing negative nickname for the citation? Slotation. There we go. All right, one and one. The slotation. So following up on the title of slotation, what model of citation was the first to try and outrun that nickname? Ooh. That's a good question, but I'm just going to think about all the types out there. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to say between the Citation 3 and maybe the 10? It was the 3. It was the, the three. three is when they first started pulling back the wing. Well, and that's what that's what I that's what I was thinking about. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, so they kind of gave it like that XLS or that Excel body, but they swept the wing a little bit and then that T tail. I'm gonna say yeah, maybe and then the, the ten took the nose of the three and the T tail, and then they just made the wing like you know the craziest swept back wing ever. And then they put engines the size of the plane on it. Right. <laughs> but, but the Citation 3 was the first one where it started going faster. Cool. So you're you're technically two and one. <laughs> Who received the first delivery of the Citation 10? Oh, dude. I, <laughs> He's a pretty famous guy. He's a famous American. You, mean, you say the uh, Citation 10? The Citation 10. Who received the first delivery of it? I'll give you a hint. He actually set like... Um, land, like records for closed courses in it, and you would. And it's a really kind of a. It's kind of a cool story. I'll give you a hint. Professional golfer. See, that's the thing. I'm a rugby player. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, hold on here. All right. So, citation ten. Professional golfer, American. 
Now, is he a professional golfer in today's era, or is he a professional golfer? <laughs> he's uh, he's no longer with us. There's your next hint. God, man, I can't. The King? Can't. Does that help? His nickname was The King? Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Wait. Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. What are the odds? The, the Citation 10, Arnold Palmer. All right. Two and two. <laughs> Which citations have the T-tail? Okay. Hold on. Let me see. We talked about the three. Yeah. All right. And I'm considering the three, the four, and the five, like, the three is fine. Right, that right, covers right, that. right, right. Okay. So now let's look below the three. So we've got the Mustang. Yeah. We've got the just a straight CJ, right? Citation yeah, the Citation Jet. jet. Yeah. Citation Jet. Uh, Two more based off of my research, which has been known to be dubious. Right. I mean, we got Citation Jets. We've got, we've got the Citation 3. And we're, are we going to consider all the CJ, like the CJ types A, B, and C, you know, Citation 3s? That's what you said, right? We're yeah, the 3, the 4, and the 5 are all covered okay. by the 3. Okay, so then we've got the, well, obviously recently the Citation Longitude. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of them. One of the most beautiful planes of all time. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, the latitude isn't. Lati- latitude isn't a T-tail. Uh, XLS is not a T-tail. The nope, you got one more. It ain't the Ultra. Nope. Um, it ain't the Encore either. And hold on. Hold your horses there. Oh, the 10. There you go. Yeah. The 10. The 10. Okay. I think it's kind of funny because that was the one I just asked about. The questions yeah. are kind of flowing in a <laughs> yeah. good job. Okay. Here's the last one. Where did Cessna get the name citation? And there, cause it's not from a research book. They're not citing anything. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a citation right. like in a book. Where did they get the name citation? I can't tell you. So according to my research, it came from a triple crown winning American thoroughbred. And the name was Citation. The name of the horse was Citation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's, so that's little things cool. now watch. Someone's gonna someone's gonna look that up and be like, well, actually, you're wrong. Like, and then somebody else is gonna listen to you and is like, well, is that where they came with came up with the citation Mustang? <laughs> and then they're like, but Arnold Palmer technically was the second one. There was a first one that was never documented. Yeah. <laughs> There's always going to be somebody who's going to be sitting there and uh, saying, well, let me fact check you here real quick. Well, the problem is, is like, I've been wrong before. Uh, I've like been very wrong in writing these questions. And my co-host, Matt, every time we start trivia, puts these big disclaimers about how I'm always wrong and how the questions are known <laughs> to have been wrong. And so it's, it's uh, something I haven't been able to outrun, even though we've been doing this for a year now. Um, so that's it for me. What, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we, before we call it or like any, any cool special? Well, I mean, no other than, uh, you know, if, if I'm really actually grateful and honored to be invited to do this, actually, this is my very first podcast with a flight school to do, uh, to talk about, you know, my experiences and stuff. And so for those who are going to be listening to this, I mean, if I can, if I can, uh, just leave a few words of advice is I lived by the word persistence 
And I'm actually, believe it or not, trying to write a book called Perseverance and the Will to Succeed. Because my journey to get to where I am right now hasn't been the most cleanest record. Um, You know, I know a lot of pilots like to go out and say, you know, I have zero failures. Uh, I've got a perfect record and, and all of these things, right? I went from flight school all the way to all my ratings in less than a year. And I got a job at the airline. And then a year later after that, I'm at a legacy or, or whatever the case may be. My journey to becoming a pilot wasn't always the easiest. You know, I've, I've, I'm not ashamed to share it because I've shared it with all my employers and they still decide to take a chance on me because I was upfront with it. You know, I failed my commercial multi-oral, you know, over something very minor that I just happened to slip, right? So I feel that that's on my record. I have incompleted and 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 you know this story. You know, I the reason why I left Sun Country to go to NetJets was because I just couldn't get through the maneuvers validation. And for a short period of time, that got to my head and mentally messed with me to the point where I started second guessing of whether aviation is for me. And then I was just going to forget about everything else that I'd worked so hard to achieve because of that experience. But with perseverance and being persistent in things that you do and decide to pick yourself back up and keep going, um, you know, you'll eventually get to that final final place that you're, you're, you set your goals on. You know, if, if you really work hard towards it, be honest in the process, be truthful. Don't, don't, uh, what's the word? Don't be in denial. You know, if, if, if you couldn't accomplish something, don't sit there and say, well, I'm a big failure and this isn't going to happen. No, keep at it. Keep at it. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything when you have the resources and, the the drive and the goals to do it then then do it you know so yeah it's a it's a tough it is a tough road to hope it is to to get to it because i mean i remember days like i quit my my corporate career and two weeks later corona happened yeah and i had no job i was really lucky to get hired by in-flight during covid but i went three months after getting my cfi unemployed and my wife supported me and I, you know, so there's, there's a lot of times where you do this, where you're going to along the way of trying to become a professional pilot, where you hit some sort of wall and you're just like, is this for me? Is this even worth it? Right. And then I'll tell you, you advance the thrust levers forward in a jet for the first time and you get pushed back into your seat and you're like, hell yeah, <laughs> it was all worth it. Or when you come in and battle that crosswind and you just, you don't even hear a squeak from your tires and your captain just pats you on the shoulder, kind of like attaboy, you know, that that's 60 knots my controls. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's when that's when you're like, you know, okay, it was worth it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for those And then the passengers complained about being late because you had to wait for rampers, and even though that's not your fault, it was your fault. But you know, in that one moment after you land it, it's fantastic. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, keep at it. Uh don't give up and just, just keep pushing and, and reach out to other people. You know, that's, that's the benefit of social media. I know everybody wants to be uh, nowadays uh, like all the other influencers and stuff, which good, good for you. If that's what you want to do, nothing against it. Uh, Just don't let the focus and that goal slip away because of, you know, you wanting to do something other than what you've always dreamt of being, you know, becoming. So 
but yeah, that's that's all I've got. I really really had fun doing this, and um, you know, I really yeah, we appreciate it. too. We really appreciate it. So I'm gonna cool. <laughs> This was another episode of Living in Flight. If you liked this episode, please make sure to subscribe for more exclusive aviation content. Have any topic ideas or want to be featured on our podcast? Send us a message at listen at livinginflight.com. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, this is Living in Flight. <laughs>